You're listening to Q&A Over Coffee. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for obtaining accounting, tax, or financial advice from a professional accountant. So welcome to the Olson Thielen Q&A Over Coffee. We, today, we are lucky to have Greg Nelson, CPA. He's been a long-term practitioner with uh, Olson Thielen. He leads the real estate niche market. He's got like 35 years experience. Greg, you went to a school where? Went to St. Cloud. St. Cloud. You played what there? I uh, actually played football there all, f- all four years. Um, enjoyed it. They no longer have a football program, so I guess I'm one of the historical alumni that will forever, forever never change, right? Really? It's interesting. Enjoyed it. Met a lot of nice people and nice friends. Still have some friends from there, so it's uh, it's, it's good experience. What, how is it that you drew into real estate anyway? I mean, did you, were you working for one of the partners of the firm when you were a young man? No. You've been with your, your, yeah. us for your old career, right? Yeah, yeah. I've been here since 1989, so we're going to be pushing, yeah, 34, 35 years coming up next October. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a great, great experience, uh, a, a great way to learn about different industries and what you enjoy and um, took a liking to real estate, took a liking to the tax work involved in that. Um you know, uh, when I was growing up, uh, you know, my, my dad said, you know, there's two jobs. There, you know, one, people always have to eat using the grocery business. And he said, as far as uh, real estate, he goes, they don't make any more Lakeshore. No, no so, more Lakeshore. So my first house was a house on Lake Minnetonka. And uh, let me guess, and I bet that you probably enhanced it and turned it over, made some money, plowed that money back in. Yeah, that's exactly right. So is it, is it an estate, is a cabin turned uh, house? Bought it from an estate, so I learned how that worked. Bought it right. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, went down to the studs, uh, redid it, built the equity, sort of elbow grease, right? And then, uh, you know, from there, uh, enjoyed that and bought the house two doors down for me, rehabbed that one, um, turned that into a rental, slash flipped it, um, dabbed a little bit myself in the ski resort area in Colorado, with the with the sort of what they call the VRBO now or vacation rental, um, back then it wasn't called that, but kind of morphed into that. So I've always been uh, you know dabbling in that real estate interest, and then uh, lo and behold, in the tax world, uh, you learn how it works, and I learned how it works through Olson Thielen and my experience uh, with with some of the partners and and uh, learning about that. Well, you've always been a, a great resource for me <clears throat> as a co-partner with you in the Eden Prairie location and as a firm wide. It's always been. Very interesting to hear your perspective on the real estate deals. Cash flow, low income, sell them for capital gain, and you wake up wealthy when you're older. I mean, what's not to love? Uh, those folks that qualify as a real estate professional have a separate, separate tax uh, rules that apply to them that uh, can be very, very uh, beneficial in that, in that type of world. And strangely enough, you know, we're tax advisors. The real estate investor, when it when that person makes money, there's no Social Security tax paid on that. That's clean income. And then the real estate professional, do they have, real, do they have Social Security tax paid on that? Nope, nope. Just on, you know, they're on their occupation, right? So if I'm a realtor, you're going to pay self-employment tax, but... 
Um, again, if they uh, just have a, some investment properties that they're having rental income, rental income is always passive, just ordinary income, not subject to the self-employment tax that we're alluding to, which is, you know, a big, you know, it's 15.3%. And, you know, that's a big drag on on the American taxpayer because it, it caps off at about 150 k for the working folks in America. Yep. And um, that's a pretty heavy drag. Yeah. And these guys don't have that, they don't have that drag. Not on the not on the rental income side of that. Um, it's a nice uh, it's a clean, nice I call it stream. clean income. Clean income, yeah, yeah. It's interesting because a lot of people in that world uh, sort of you know it's kind of their retirement. You know they uh, they kind of believe in real estate. They live, breathe, and, breathe and eat it. And uh, you know they have this passive income. That's where their money's going is in these investment properties. And they sort of shy away from a four hundred one k plan or a retirement plan, which you know is, I don't. Personally, that's you know you get into talking to a financial planner and all that. It's, it's good to have buckets, various buckets, um, instead of having your eggs in one basket. But, but generally, I know that's what they're looking for. They're, they're looking for their self-created annuity, right? So, so when they do retire or they you know uh, go on their their elder years, they have that nice annuity, which is basically that rental rental income coming from those properties. So you know, basically, in a, an investor or a professional could end up with a portfolio of properties. You know, they could have like 10 or 12 properties, and if they all throw off $10,000 in cash, that's one dollars a year, 10 properties, that's all good. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a nice, uh, again, go back to that annuity um, idea. It's a nice annuity in addition to, say, Social Security, or some people believe Social Security is going to be there. <laughs> you know, and that's a nice annuity to replace that. But, um, yeah, whether you're an investor or, or a professional in real estate, uh, cer- certainly that income stream is very valuable. But you got to get that income stream, and that income stream is, you know, about cash flow, right? So, um, you know, in order to get that cash flow, you know, uh, mortgage-free, right? Uh, usually mortgages are kind of a drag if you can get that debt paid off, and you know, that's, that's pure cash, right? Pure cash. You know, so... Right now, you know, we've had a really good run in the stock market the last 10 years. I was just reading something that low interest rates really helped fuel the stock market. And so now when you look at real estate, which a lot of people do real estate as a hedge, they don't want all their money in the stock market and they don't want all their money in cash. So when you look at real estate, do you you look at the importance of market growth when considering a real estate or how does the current economic climate I mean, how does that impact real estate right now? I mean, it, well, it affects it tremendously, um, especially with say, someone trying to get into it. Uh, they might be able to buy a second home for what the, what I call, you know, the personal mortgage rates versus a business mortgage rate, um, which is a personal mortgage rate was much lower than a commercial. But, um, you know, the higher interest rate, um, of course, the, the, the bigger one, uh, the bigger cost of purchase, and then the bigger um, monthly uh, mortgage payment you got, and that's going to affect your your cash flow on on that investment itself. Um, so, um, you know, you got to be careful with that. Um, especially, let's just say, for a person that wants to flip a house, uh, you can go get a mortgage and and buy that house and try to flip it. Well, I tell you what, you better flip it pretty darn quick, right? Because the holding costs and the holding costs, which includes that higher interest rate, right? No. Back in the day, when interest rates were three percent, you know, it's not much of a holding cost, right? So, is is more beneficial. And even on the news this morning, I heard somebody say that the multi-housing uh, <clears throat> profile of investors that with higher interest rates, they have to 
basically inject more equity for the properties to work, pay down the loans to get the cash flow to work. So this whole interest rate sensitivity is a big deal in real estate, yes? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and and the other side of that is uh, a lot of times the way um, I've seen these structured, um, that we've helped structure these, is, uh, uh, you know, Tom, you go find the deal. Um, and you say, hey, I got some investors that want to come along. And they put their money in, and you say, you know what, I'll, you guys put your money in, I'll give you a preferred rate of return on that. Well, that preferred rate of return, you know, say it's 9%, right? Um, well, that's way better than, you know, sitting in a money market account uh, collecting 0.1% in a day, right? So what I'm getting at is interest rates go up, that 9% becomes less valuable than it was when it was lower to that investor, right? Unless you negotiate that up. Unless you negotiate that up. <laughs> but of course, on the front end, when you do these deals, you know, three years ago, rates were, I don't know what they were. They were, but they were a lot less than they are today. Oh, yeah. So if you yeah. inked a deal three years 4%, ago, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was a different yeah. scenario. Yeah. yeah. So when you do real estate, if you are a, a guy out there, a financial guy, and you want to buy a two aplexes or something, what's a common structure on this? I mean, do you get partners? Do you do a loan? Do you use bank debt? What do you normally see as how they're built? Oh, uh, you could do it various ways, and if, you know, if you, definitely if you get partners, um, the structure on that is going to be an LLC formed as a tax as a partnership. Um, that's probably hands down the, the the way to structure that. Some people might go a tenant in common route. I personally wouldn't recommend that. Uh, as far as uh, there's, you lose a lot of control that way as a, as the managing partner. Um, if you you know if you're gonna finance it, um, you know having some partners kick in some cash along with you, that's a good way to do it. Um, you know if you're gonna go on your own, um, you know uh, putting that in an LLC versus just buying it on your own, uh, it's really gonna be a liability call. Uh, tax wise, uh, it doesn't matter tax wise. So an LLC is gonna afford you, you know, again what it is, limited liability protection. Um, and you got to operate it right, but um, but if you go alone, it'd be a single member, single member LLC, yeah, which is really nothing more than a Schedule E on your tax return. No different than if you were to buy it yourself under your name personally. Yeah. But you do get some protection though if you put the LLC bubble around it. Yep, at least the lawyers would tell us that. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Now, in the mortgage world, if you were to go buy a second home personally, just say it's my second home, and and uh, and then you decide to rent it. Well, when you purchase that second home, you, you you usually get the personal loan interest, which is a lot lower. Yep. But if you go right into an LLC, you're going to get that business loan rate, which is probably going to be about two percent more. So you know, so some people will go buy that second property, then decide to rent it after after um, you know getting that loan. So it's kind of like a two step. Kind of two step, yeah. Do the banks do they get do they get irritated when that happens, or what are you saying? Yeah, uh, you know, it's it, it's really not up to the bank's choice, to be honest with you, because when when you bought the home, it was for your personal use. Let's just say I go buy a cabin up north. You know what? You know, honey, we're not really using it that much. The kids are off to college. It's, it's just sitting there. Let's VRBO it. Well, you already got the mortgage going, so now you VRBO it and you start renting it out, and and then it is what it is. It is probably unlikely you're gonna, you know straddle or waddle in the bank and offer to pay more interest because you're right. not using your property. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. Great to see Greg coming through the door. He's got another house he's got yeah. not, not using. <laughs> yeah. And now what I will say too is the trap that I do see is uh, people that decide to go into an LLC later, they try to transfer that property in to the LLC 
Um, and there's mixed views on this, but again, that title's in your name personally. And generally when you try to transfer that title, that mortgage has a due on sale clause and you can't transfer that mortgage. So technically they could call a mortgage on you. Um, some attorneys think differently, just say, hey, as long as the operations go out of the LLC, you'll be fine. But I guess what I'm saying is I've been into situations where that title has transferred in the LLC, the mortgage has not, and also it comes time to close or sell that property, and it's a it's a mess for the uh, closing company, right? Because now you got two different titles, you got mortgage, two different names on mortgage and a name on a title. It just doesn't match, and there's a lot of workarounds. Details, details. Yeah. And then, yep. you know, I did a short time in banking, and boy, the name on the note, the name on the property, the encumbrances, um, all those things make a huge difference. Yep. Yep. So if you're like a pro or you're, you're I want to be real estate pro, um, when you, you know, and somebody presents you an A-plex or a 16-plex, a multi-unit property, what are you looking for, for viability or not? Is there a, just a real high-level, easy test? It would seem to me that it'd be all about the cash flow. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it's about, you know, whether, you know, hey, you know, is this going to work for me? And it's like, well, this, we got to work out the cash flow, whether rents, what's the rent, uh, what's your mortgage going to be, what's what's the insurance, uh, the real estate taxes, and then, and then, you know, what are the maintenance costs on this thing? And, and uh, you know, and then you look into that, you got pure cash flow, okay? That's what I call pure cash flow. Now, tax-wise, you also have depreciation expense, which... This is where it gets fun. Um, there's some things you can do with depreciation to minimize taxable income. However, your cash flow doesn't change because depreciation is basically a, a non-cash expense. So um, if you're able to cash flow it and take some large depreciation through various methods, uh, cost segregation is one method that we accelerate depreciation on and sort of bifurcate the things inside the rental property between carpet and furnishings versus the outside of the building. Um, that that helps your cash flow. And then in addition to that, because you get a tax, what usually becomes a tax loss because of depreciation, and all of a sudden you get a tax benefit on your tax return. So that, in essence, is cash flow as well. Now, because it reduces the tax now. It reduces your tax. But there's a kind of a fork in the road. Yep. If you're a real estate professional, doesn't matter. You lost, get to use it against other deals that are positive, right? That's right. No limitations, no hurdles, no snags. That's right, yes. But if you're not a real estate professional, you get snagged. And yeah. the snag on that. Well, that goes back to my question. Are you a real estate professional or are you going to be a real estate investor? And the snag on that is if you're just an investor, there's limitations on that loss. Um if you're allowed a tw up to a $25,000 special loss allowance per year. So if I have, you know, a property that loses $10,000, I can take a $10,000 loss. If I have a property or properties that can cumulatively lose 50000 I can only take a $25,000 loss. The rest carries over. Now, a step further, it's like a, it's like a matrix here, a step further is if you got to look at that loss, and although you get that loss allowance, if you make between 100000 and 150000 of gross income, that loss allowance gets disallowed. So um, what I see sometimes with the real estate investor, they're banking on a big tax benefit, right, um, on this loss. And then the fact of the matter is, one, they're phased out of the loss allowance. So they get they're not, snagged. They're not getting anything, yep. 
So you don't lose that loss allowance. It's still a good deal because that losses, those losses carry forward, okay? They don't expire. Um, and when I say it's a good deal, when you sell that property, those losses then will be released automatically. So cumulatively every year, I lose 20 grand, lose 20 grand, lose 20 grand, five years, all of a sudden I got $100,000 loss carryover. Um, I sell the property, that $100,000 goes right against ordinary income, okay, which is a tax beneficial rate, right? Ordinary loss against ordinary income. And then you end up paying capital gain on the sale, which is a beneficial rate. So the rate, rate differential is still a benefit in the real estate world upon disposition, even if you have those loss carryovers. So when I have prospects or clients ask me, should I get into this, and they're a real estate investor, I say you do it on a one really because it cash flows, true cash flow. And if not, you're going because you think highly that this is going to be a very appreciable piece of property, right? You're going for the market, uh, you know, uh, the increase, right? You're going for the capital gain, the end gain, okay? But if you're going for true cash flow or, you know, a, a tax benefit to help you cash flow, um, that might not strictly be your only answer. You might get caught in a tax trap. Yep. And, you know, the federal and state tax law has got all kinds of tax traps. Well, not only that, then you look at the, you know, you got to be careful on the, the property you buy, right? The maintenance costs. Okay, well, what about the improvements, right? New roof, new siding, up needs a new driveway. Tree falls down. Yep. I mean, you know, with any home, any, you know, as people who own homes personally, you know, yeah. <laughs> every day is a, a different day, right? Water heater, whatever. I had a boulder fall off my wall this last week. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You can't lift that up yourself and put it back, can I you? I tried, but it fell down the hill. Now you got twice the problem. No, I had to call somebody. They just kind of yeah. giggled and said, yeah, we can get it back to work. You know, I've seen that in the strongman contest, those Atlas, you know, those Atlas balls. You just pick it up and pick <laughs> it up and put it back. When that thing started coming off the wall, I got out of the way because in a down I went. Uh, yeah. So tax traps. Um, and then, if, and then, what happens for the the investor? Even though they may have a suspended loss in there, uh, I have a friend doing this. He owns about three or four pro properties over a lifetime. If it cash flows, they end up paying down the mortgage, and then when they're you know, yeah, ready to start the third chapter of their life, uh, half of their working career, um, they own like four or five houses, free, yeah, free and clear. Well, your renter is building your equity, right? Every mortgage payment that's covered by the renter, you're building equity on that, so. So I go back to, you know, you're building equity and hopefully that a piece of property is gaining market value, right? So, you know, that angle on the real estate investor, uh, from a tax angle, it's got some good tax attributes. It can build uh, wealth, household and personal wealth. Um, it's very interesting, even though there's a tax trap potentially, you got to kind of pay attention. Uh, you got to have the you got to have the uh, the moxie to stick in there. You sound pretty handy. You, you built the house, you rehabbed the house up in Tonka, you did the one out in Colorado. I know from a fact that your workshop is clean as a whistle, and you know you got to be handy to do that. The real estate professional, they have a different game. It's it's more of a business to them. They got a portfolio lined up. They have people. They got process. They got money and investors. Yep. So it's kind of a different, kind of two different parallel tracks, but they're very different, as you said, yeah. on the top. Yeah. Yeah, and the and the main difference being that loss that we talk about is not is not suspended. It's it's offset currently and can offset you know, their real estate business, uh, whether it's, you know, a realty business or home construction, 
um, that loss can be very beneficial, and they're gaining uh, some 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 equity in a property. And I've seen that loss suspension turn around several times, where the the professional, in this case, uh, typically doctors, they would have a rental property, a vacation home, and then they would uh, have suspended losses, and then they sell it, and they get this huge tax attribute, mm-hmm. uh, this suspended loss, or they'll retire and their income will change, and they'll get down below the one hundred. And suddenly now they're in the they're in the twenty five k loss, and so suddenly their their deferred income or their deferred comp is getting now sheltered by their rental loss on their vacation home. Yeah, a little twenty five thousand a year break. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, yeah, certainly. And that and that and that's a good point to make, Tom. Is every every year is you, you look at differently, right? For that for that income test. So, um, you know, and this doesn't apply. We've we've also worked with this. You and I have with our with businesses that are operating, say, operating clinics that. You know, they they have their own piece of commercial property. Yes, that, that the owners might also own the commercial property. And so the um, the grouping test. The grouping. Tell test. us about the grouping test. Yeah. Well, basically, uh, you know, basically, if uh, Tom and I are running a CPA firm and we are renting a spot and a you know a renting a building, we decide, hey, let's not rent the building, let's buy the building. So now, you know, Tom, you and I own this building, and we have our, our accounting business out of it, and, uh, you know, we're paying ourselves rent, basically. So we're just really shifting income uh, from, a, you know, say instead of taking wages, we're paying some rent on that side. And that's non-SE income, by the way. And there you go. And uh, and It's got to be fair value. Fair value, absolutely. Right, we fair would never value. go outside of that, of course. No, no. Fair value rents, and you look at market conditions, and but- what you're doing is you're paying yourself, uh, but building equity on top of that, you know, uh, just like uh, a normal, uh, you know, investor would. Um, but where I've seen that also come into play is, um, and this is a hard concept to understand, but a lot of people go, you know, because of the losses, they have, they've taken more losses and they put money into it, right? So oh, yeah. you and I put some money down on a building, uh, you know, $100,000, but the losses cumulatively throughout the years have been 500000 you know, all of a sudden we have this big negative loss. Well, that's a recapture. That's a that's a, a hidden tax cost. We uh, call it upside down, don't we? We call it upside down, but then all of a sudden you're going to be paying Uncle Sam on the on the exit on that. And what I mean by that is you're going to be paying gain on on the sale plus the negative capital account, what I'd call it. And when we see that coming, which we do because we can see the negative basis on the partnership K-1s, I know you have, and I know I have. We always tell the client, you know, you got a deferred tax land there. You didn't defer you, tax. You used this big loss again this year. Remember, reduce reduce your tax. Remember when you got those refunds? Don't forget, fifteen years ago. <laughs> and then it turns around, and let's hope to God we got enough cash to pay the tax in the final year. Yeah, yeah. So, and and that's a great point. So, so the real estate does turn around. It turns around because as you depreciate this property, your basis is getting is reduced as well. And so you're going to end up with a capital gain on it, no matter if it was, you know, if you sold it for what you originally bought it for, you still got a capital gain on it. So basically it comes back around. Um, but the point, Tom, which you and I have also dealt with is, whoa, how do I get rid of this deferred tax liability? And as morbid as it sounds, the answer is you die with it. Um, and w- w- where does that come into play? And, and under the estate rules, the step up, to basis, step up to fair market value is a huge benefit in the real estate world because um, you've, you've worked this property, you've taken losses against it, um, you've cash flowed it, 
Um, you've taken maybe refinanced, took some money out from the bank, gave yourself a refinance distribution, got extra cash flow from the bank after the equity went up, right? And all of a sudden you look and you got this big negative capital account, but uh, upon death, that gets stepped up to fair market value and you never pay the tax on that. So that deferred tax we just alluded to goes out the window. And now your heirs get to what? Sell the property with a stepped-up basis. And or start over. Ah, and start over. Redepreciate it, right? Even better. At the higher value, yeah. Well, I had that happen with a woman whose husband owned a bunch of real estate, and we're in the process of trying to sell them now. And it did start over. And yeah. uh, it's just amazing. It's just amazing how it works. Yep, yep. It is. It's a, it is a, a, a very different tax world in the real estate business. Um, it's very, uh, can be very uh, creative. Um, and it's, and real estate, again, and because it's such an appreciable asset, um, it's, it's, it works that way from a tax cons- you know, point of view. Um, but with that being said, let's remember what happened in 2008. So let's go there. It's good. So we, are, we have a few minutes left here. Um, so you've been doing this a long time. Three and a half decades. Yeah. And so there's got to be some stories here. We went through some really crazy times in 08. I don't know what the 2000s were like. The last 10 years have been pretty prosperous for many. You got any memorable stories or situations that have happened uh, over the last, well, I don't know, three and a half decades? Yeah, well, 2008 was definitely one of them. Um, it wasn't a fun time. Um, that was the real estate crash. Um, had a lot of, it was in the years prior to that, everybody can seem like a good mortgage. Um, people were closing on houses, getting, you know, closing on three mortgages a day without any income to debt ratios. Um, they were just handing them out. And of course, you know, that's where the mortgage industry and the appraisals and all that came into, in, you know, into flux. And, uh, the real estate market crashed and all of a sudden we had all these people with, uh, mortgages and low value houses and, um, no longer able to finance or, you know, cash flow these rents or the mortgages were being called. And so what we had a lot of is short sales and foreclosures. Um, I had some clients with 15 rental properties that just walked away from 15 rental properties. And when it's not a home, when it's not a home, that debt forgiveness is taxable income, is it not? It's, yes, it's, it is taxable income. Now with that is uh, uh, the related loss on the back end to help offset that. Um, but, you know, personally, yeah, we dealt with uh, the foreclosure world in 08, and there had to be a special law change put into place. Remember that? And the home debt forgiveness. Yes. Uh, that's when that came into play because everybody was, you know, getting nicked on this debt forgiveness income, and they had no cash to pay that, uh, pay the tax on that. So, so. so we got a couple minutes left. So let me, let me just ask this last, kind of this last idea. So this is kind of a complex area. Lots of tax traps, lots of strategies. You've provided some really interesting strategy stuff again. It's always interesting talking with you. What's the CPA's role? I mean, in in helping clients make heads or tails of this? Well, I think first and foremost, you got to ask them what's their intentions, what type of real estate, uh, what kind of classification are they going to be, and how is this going to benefit them tax-wise? Um, and then how will this benefit them perhaps in the future? Um, again, our role isn't financial planning. Um, our role is to give them tax advice, tax structuring. Um, you know, is it, uh, you can go this on your own. You're going to do it with partners. Um, how can we help structure that with partners? Um, how can we make it a win-win with everybody, uh, and, and make it most efficient, um, and 
beneficial for you. It's really way more than just doing a tax return. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, there's tax elections, there's capitalization repair regulations the IRS comes out with. It's constantly changing. It's constant court cases on who's a real estate professional, keeping these hour requirements. You know, uh, a real estate professional is certain 750 hours required, 50% of your time has to be in that area. Um, you and I would never be a real estate professional. We just, we're at Olson Thielen full-time. So um, there's a lot of uh, uh, hand-holding and say as, as well as tax elections and the rules that you need to follow and documentation uh, that is needed upon you get that, you know, dreaded IRS letter says we're going to come look at your your books. Um, we get And in books are another thing. We know we do a lot of uh, QuickBooks uh, setup. Um, I think the better your books are, the, the better things are going to go for you. So we could help clients with the cash flow analysis, kind of the the debt to equity. Maybe maybe introduce them to a bank. Introduce them bank, or you know, you want to go to Florida. What does that do to you? You want to go to Wisconsin. What does that do to you? Most so multi-state, right? You want to go to a ski resort. Okay, well, what does that do to me tax-wise? Well, okay, now we're filing some separate, you know, an additional ta- state taxes. This is not Minnesota. You know, we got to go to Colorado. We got to go to California. Um, so it brings in a lot of tax situations. Is always so interesting. Um, it's always, pretty pretty dynamic environment. A lot of like I said, it's always changing. There's always rules. Um, uh, there's uh, things changing. Then the the mortgage environment changes. How does that affects the the real estate world? Like kind exchanges. We never even touched on like kind exchanges back in 08. They didn't exist because property were low. Now we're back in the environment of like kind exchanges. That's a tax free exchange on gains of your property. What can you do with that? Um, you know, you could sell your property, go into another property, and not pay the tax. You could do that like in an unlimited, unlimited number of times. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't have to be a, a single family for single family. It could be single family for multifamily. It could be single family for a vacant lot. Or like farmland. Farmland, sure. So investment property, I think, is the definition. Investment property. So yeah. conceptually, if you're a young man or a young woman or a person, and if you've got lots of energy, you could maintain rental properties throughout your early years. And then when you get older... Maybe you just want to go to farmland, cash rents. Go to farmland or step up, right? Yes. So a lot of a lot of clients will start a single family. Hey, I like to see a gig. I'm going to go to a fourplex. I'm going to go to an aplex. You know what? Now I'm going to buy a hundred hundred unit apartment building. And I'm going to have somebody else watch it. Yep. But it but it affords you that that ability to move up, right? And not pay the tax defer it. So that we're in that environment now. But back in 08, we weren't in that environment. So that sort of went away, right? So very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I hate to say, it, but we are out of time today. Thank goes fast you. when you're having fun. Go, it's, it goes real fast when you're having fun. Thank Greg Nelson with us today on the Q&A over coffee. He's one of the tax partners at Olson Thielen. He leads the real estate niche. Uh, you can find him on the webpage. And myself, my name is Tom Pesch. I'm part of the uh, host of the Q&A. And Greg, thanks so much for coming this afternoon. Yep, my pleasure. Um, happy summers, and uh, let's hope the autumn is a, a good time. Happy real estate investing. Thank you. All right. Okay. Check out all of our podcast episodes on the Q&A Over Coffee page on the Olson Thielen website. This is also a place where you can sign up to be notified whenever a new episode goes live. You can also listen to the podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.